Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Joan Strassman will join us to discuss slow birding. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. science show. Well, birds are all around us, but few of us would slow down to notice them. Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Joan Strassman. Dr. Strassman is currently the Charles Rebstock Professor of Biology at the Washington University in St. Louis. She's written more than 200 scientific articles on behavior, ecology, and evolution of social organisms, and is currently a member of the National Academy of Sciences, fellow of the American Behavior Society, and the American Association for the Advancement of Society, and has held a Guggenheim Fellowship. She has penned the new book, Slow Birding, the Art and Science of Enjoying the Birds in Your Own Backyard. And Professor Strassman, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Well, it is certainly our pleasure, certainly a great book for everyone who has an interest in birds, but maybe doesn't know where to begin to sit down and observe the birds. I'm curious why you decided to put this book together. It's a book I've wanted to write for about 30 years. I've worked on wasps and microbes, but I've always taught with birds because birds are out there so you can see them, you can think about what they're doing, and test your own hypotheses. And that power is really what we want to see bloom in our students. So I heard about the slow food movement coming from Italy with Carlo Petrini fighting the fast food movement. And I thought, oh, we should have slow birding as well as slow food, where we watch the birds that are local and learn much more about them. Your book is really comprehensive. It goes through pretty much every bird you can imagine in North America. And looking at the different birds that are out there, do you find that you approach the birding differently depending on the bird? You know, I love starting with the soundscape. I love just, if you haven't ever paid attention to birds at all, if you just begin to listen to them and try to, like a young child doesn't learn words before it learns sounds, just learn what the soundscape is like. And then when you learn that, you can tie it to the birds you see. You can use Cornell University Laboratory of Ornithology's wonderful apps like Merlin to actually identify the birds. You can see how differently they behave. So a bird that might look like something but doesn't act like that bird just couldn't be that bird because acting is, behavior is is telling. So just pay attention to the birds and get help from your local Audubon Society and the Cornell apps and it'll change your life. Well, it's nice that you started with soundscapes. It's probably the thing that most people notice, especially, you know, come spring when all the sounds are about. Is it tough to distinguish the different birds from the different sound? Um, 
it's definitely takes time to learn the songs. It's harder to take notes on songs, but it's something that I think can be done. I mean, there are songs that I've heard, you know, I'd heard for a really long time before I figured out what it was, but because I'd heard it for a long time, once I could tie a name to that song, I never forgot it. And looking at the behavior of the birds, when looking at them, is there something about their flight, their nesting behavior, the things that, that you to notice? I think it starts just with their foraging behavior. You're going to find sparrows on the ground kicking up seeds, and you'll find robins looking for earthworms on the ground. There's other birds that you find elsewhere. You'll find the blue jays up in the trees or gathering acorns. The northern flickers will be in the grass-eating ants or up high, pounding on your chimneys, signaling to the others. So the behavior really characterizes the bird. And when you see the behavior, you can usually narrow down what bird you might be seeing. When you're teaching these type of questions and you use birds as an example, are there things that you like to point out to them in terms of what they ought to take from observing the birds? So in the bird class I taught at Rice for many years, Rice University in Houston before I moved to St. Louis, I would really do just the opposite, and I I would introduce them, as I say in the book, to just three species of bird that nested on campus, and I would ask a completely open-ended question of, watch the bird and let me know how it's using time and space, and then from that beginning, ask them what else they wanted to know, because I'm really a believer in empowering people to do their own observations and then tie that to what the professionals have discovered. But if you watch the birds first, I just feel like everything you read becomes more meaningful. What were common observations you found coming out of the class and from people you've met who've gone birding? There's some commonalities in terms of the things that people are curious about. Oh, I think so. I think that anytime birds fight with each other, people will notice that. Mockingbirds are not common where you are, but if you go further south, you'll see that basically the whole territory is divided into mockingbird territories, and they'll do these little dances jumping up and down at the edges of their territories, and they know where those edges are. We don't, but we can can map them. Likewise, we can see the white-throated sparrows that have just come south to your area and mine and watch how they feed, watch how they kind of walk almost backwards, shuffling up the brush and looking for seeds. There's just so many different things that you can see. You can see the juncos and when they flash their white feathers, you can see the woodpeckers, you can see the the blue jays ganging up on owls that are trying to get a good day's sleep, but the blue jays, once they discover them, won't let them do that. And then if you put out a nest box, you can watch that whole story of how they how they nest, if it's a bird that uses a box like a, a house wren. So there's just, just no end to the fun things you can watch. What's been the most surprising to you that you've discovered in birding to all the different types of birds that are out there? Oh, I just feel like I learned so much. At a really personal level, I learned what wonderful people these ornithologists were and how willing they were to 
take their time and tell me their stories and read what I wrote, make sure that everything was correct. So I just feel this debt of gratitude to the ornithologists that have done the work. As far as specific birds, one of our commonest birds, much hated, is the house sparrow. And many people realize that they were brought here a couple hundred years ago and that they're not native to here. But what people may not realize is that house sparrows evolved right along with humans, differentiating from their ancestors at the dawn of agriculture 10,000 or more years ago. And that we can tell this in various ways, but the thing that I just found really cool was that there's two genes that changed as they speciated from their ancestors, both associated with agriculture, one which gave them a stronger bill and skull suitable for eating our larger grains, and the other was a gene that made it easier for them to digest the increased amounts of starch in those seeds. So, like it or not, house sparrows are our birds. There are other birds, of course, that have adapted to our our human society. Cardinals, for example, thrive in cities. Yes, yes. There's there's quite a few birds that, that live in our cities, and good thing, too, because humans are not going away, and uh, the birds that can adapt to living in our landscapes are uh, certainly important. The, the birds that we see are reflective of habitation that we have with further out into the wild. Does one encounter different types of bird behaviors that uh, you might not in your own backyard? Yes. Yes. A robin in the forest is way more secretive than a robin on your land. And then there's some birds that were thought to be deep in the forest, but turned out to be in the neighborhoods like like Cooper's hawks, which we find feeding at our bird feeders, only not feeding on the seeds, but feeding on the songbirds that we've attracted to the feeders. Some people don't like them, but they're the lions of the sky, and they're they're really a joy to watch. The book really goes into a number of these, and it's certainly not, not enough time to talk about all the different birds that you profiled here, but I'm curious, do you have any favorites among all the birds that you've talked about in the book? I always like to say that my favorite bird is the bird that I just saw. I adore cedar waxwings. I just think they're just such an elegant bird. They're they're unpredictable. They fly around everywhere. So I I love cedar waxwings. I love northern flickers. But really, after all the time I've spent with each of these birds and the researchers that have worked on them, it's really hard to say. American coots in the water, they're adorable. Snow geese are have the ch- many of the challenges we have. So yeah, it's hard to say one bird. Do you think there is a bird that is perhaps the most misunderstood of all the birds? I would say that probably the two that were brought here, the European starling and the house sparrow, are misunderstood. I mean, the Starling just seems so evil. If you watch it um, chase a woodpecker out of its nest, it just seems like such an imposter. But they've been here longer than my ancestors have. And if you actually look at woodpecker populations, they tend to go up and down in the same way as the starlings, along with the damage we do to the environment. 
so I think we should not be too quick to blame birds for damage to other birds. It is really a great book to emphasize the idea of just slowing down and watching the birds that are out there in your own backyard. For those people picking up the book, is there any take-home message you would like them to have after going through the book? And and what would you like them really to appreciate about the art and science of birding? I guess I'd say go out there and develop some confidence in yourself from just watching the birds and, and and learning about them and then read my stories and see if you don't appreciate them even more. Well, it certainly is a great book, and I certainly hope people will take a look at it, the stories, and of course, uh, develop an appreciation for slow burning. Thank you very much. I do too. Well, we were just talking with Dr. Joan Strassman. She has penned the new book, Slow Birding, The Art and Science of Enjoying the Birds in Your Own Backyard. Dr. Strassman, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. It was a delight to talk with you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.
Oh, 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 oh,